Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hello, Susan. How is your evening going today? Oh, it has been a cold day, a wonderful cold day, as it should be in mid-November. 
but it's it's that in between time, you know. In the summertime, the goat watch is very idyllic. You're lolling around. And then in, in the wintertime, when there's snow on the ground, you hardly have to watch the goats at all because they're not going to go anywhere. They don't like tromping through the snow. Uh-huh. So we dig a path, right, from the barn out to that stand of trees, and we have some wire fencing around them that we can put hay in so that they can just get their noses in and eat the hay but not eat the trees. Uh-huh. And so they... Basically, that's a goat watch in the winters. You let them out, you stuff hay in the fencing, and then you make sure that they're not like, you know, doing anything obstreperous by just, you know, going out or looking out the window every hour or so. But the in-between time, which is now, is um, you still have to be out with them. Um, mm. And it's cold. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, we have a, a special coat called the goat coat. Oh. Which is a wool, a double-breasted wool coat that goes all the way down to our knees and has long sleeves mm. and wonderful pockets and a hood. Sounds mm. just right. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for those transition days in the fall and the spring, and it's transition days for all of the plants that were outside all summer too, isn't it? Yes, it is time. Yes, all of the plants that were outside that aren't happy with cold have to come inside the jasmine and the hibiscus and the lemon verbena, all of those dear friends. As a matter of fact, I gathered up a few calendula seedlings, and oh my goodness, they're about eight inches tall now. They're really thriving. And then I have my lemon tree, which has four lemons on it, and my grapefruit tree that I grew from seed. And then I also, this past winter, planted just a handful of those seeds down. And I think I told you I have a little, uh, you know, uh, grapefruit orchard now. I have two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen. I have 16 grapefruit trees. Oh, magnificent. (laughs) Now, granted, they're only about three inches tall. Most of them only have two, four, six leaves, but they grow fast. So we'll see. There's a great (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if we'll ever get any grapefruits from them. But if they flower, that would be wonderful because the scent of the flowers is just magnificent. But, you know, it's It's that time in the life of the plants where they really have to decide if they're going to stay on through the winter. Like I brought a basil inside, and it was looking really good. I brought it in before it got cold, but, you know, it doesn't want to to go through the winter. It's like looking out the window, and it's going, kidding me, right? Yeah. Wow. I love to hear you say that. So got that sense, you know. I, I, yeah, that's just, yeah, the plants, that's, they're telling me that as I'm moving things around. It's like, yep, some of us are going to choose to make it through, and some of us, this is it. We've, we've had our, well, this, this is it, you know. <laughs> Try all you want. Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not doing it. <laughs> exactly. The chickens, too, I have to say, the hens, I get the look out of a couple of their eyes because we took in some veteran hens and, I can see him looking at me like, mm, and it's getting too cold for us. 
<laughs> we're not going all uh-huh. the way this year. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, I'm feeling, feeling that cold coming on. I think there's some areas that have already um, had snow. Mm-hmm. Definitely. We got a dusting of it ourselves, but over east of us on the lake, they got a foot, so definitely. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I haven't really had a hard frost. Wow. A little glitter on the the meadow in the morning, but that's about it. And cold day, like today, but still in all, I mean, cold day, what? Cold day, it was 41 and cloudy, but that was cold. Mm. Yeah, we've gotten so we have we have kind of a mystery guest tonight, and that's Tony Hartman. She's not really a mystery, but I usually ask people to give me some questions, and for some reason, her she came in without any questions, so she's a mystery to <laughs> me. She um, was born in New York's Greenwich Village in the 1960s, and she knew since she was the age of eight that she had psychic abilities, and she had a near-death experience about 25 years ago that, well, you'll have to come back at 9 o'clock or stay tuned until then to find out what on earth is going on with Tori Hartman. Hmm. We have been cooking applesauce. We put 12 quarts of applesauce in the freezer. Mmm, yummy. Yum, yum. And we've been pressing apple cider. And the uh, teenagers came over and pressed apple cider with us. Good, sweet fun. And they got turned on to... uh, the foam. Have you been around apple pressing? No. Well, as you turn the screw press and the apple juice is pushed through the mesh, it foams. And the foam is like cotton candy. Oh, yummy. <laughs> Right, there's the juice, there's all the juice running out. But then on top of that juice, there's just this foam. Sometimes you see that on water. People think, oh, that water must be polluted when they see it. But no, it it can happen uh, when there's like a lot of pressure. Oh, I have definitely seen that on water. Yeah. Yeah, it's like floating bits of foam. Yeah. And. Uh, and I was uh, saying that it reminded me, in fact, of my favorite part of the cacao. And you know that the chocolate <clears throat> comes from a pod that's a fruit, and inside are the seeds, which are the chocolate, which have to be fermented and roasted and ground and, and taken care of. But when you open that pod... Those seeds are nestled in this white foam, which tastes amazing. It's Mm. airy, and it's sweet, and it's slightly chocolatey, and it's flowery, and it's just like nothing else in the world. Wow, I've never had that. 
So if you ever have a chance to be there when somebody opens a cacao pod, be sure you get some of that. I will. That sounds tasty. Yeah. Yeah. What have you been doing this week? Well, um, I am blessed to have um, gotten the signal from the girl goat, one of the girl goats, and um, I called this remarkable woman who is a 4-H mom, and she is such a trooper. She put the little buckling in her car and brought him over, and they had a rendezvous on Friday evening. Um, They didn't go in the barn. They just took the pasture, and wow, did they have a great time. And um, then today, just before the show, I was hanging curtains in the house trying to get the guest room a little warmer for company coming over. And um, I saw something going on out there. I called the 4-H mom back over. She came with the buckling and goat number two. So that's what we've been up to. It's been pretty, pretty interesting. And guess what his name? His name is Huckleberry. <laughs> no, you're kidding. His name is Huckleberry. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I know that's a special name for you and for me, too, because my dog, Huckleberry River, who died last year and loved being in the barn a little bit of time he was here. So the fact that Huckleberry, the goat, has come, and he was such a little Casanova. He, like, actually took time to, like, go up and, like, it looked like talk to them. I know they do the lip thing. But before he even, you know, did the back end, he actually, like, went up face-to-face and was like, hi, nice to meet you. And then, wow. (laughs) 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 That was very fun. It is. And there's also that magical and very peculiar moment in the goat keeper's life where you walk up to your goat and pick up her tail and check to make sure that the deed was done. Yes, and blessed the 4-H mama because she was uh, really good at that. So we saw lots of evidence of that. And, uh, yes, yes, the first one especially so. The second only happened today, but I saw it myself, you know, nice and juicy back there when they were finished. So All right, um, perfect, right. It'll be a little greasy back there. You have to check. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. hopefully we'll have forties in April. Wow, baby goats. We had a tail yeah. wagger today too. But when we went down to talk to Farmer John, Farmer John wasn't home, so we'll we'll take her tomorrow because they're usually in heat at least two days, often three. Right. Yes. Yay. Well it sounds like you have a fun rendezvous coming up for your girlies tomorrow too. <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, do we have any callers with any questions? We do. We have one caller who has already queued up by pressing one. I'll remind everyone listening. I see lots of you called in already. So anyone listening tonight who has a question, please do remember press one so that we know you are in line in the queue. And our first caller is calling from the eight four five area code. From the eight four five, you are live with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi. 
How is Farmer John doing? He has replaced the little um, hut where the eggs really? were sold with a much larger place. Oh, I have to drive by. That Yes, it has a refrigerator for the eggs. I do drive by soon oh, wow. because there's samples of goat milk soap there. Oh. With a sign that says, full-size bra is available soon. Oh, wow. Yeah. I just discovered, you know, when I call you, I have all these, like, how I'm going to talk to you, what I'm going to say, how quick it'll be. And then you say something, and I'm like, oh, my God. I, I wasn't even thinking about that problem. Oh, can we go on now about the goat soap and let's discuss please, because I haven't used this product before, but I discovered a large rash. I have some follicle, um, hair follicle, uh, I don't know what they call them, uh, plug-ups or something in my groin area. I've had Uh this uh, for, you know, most of my adult life. Um, and it only aggravates with, you know, certain actions or movements or clothes or whatnot, right? So I am convalescing, um, and it's going to take a long time. And that's it. Maybe we can continue our conversation in that direction, which is where I kind of wanted to go and talk a little bit about females and bones and stress, but. For the meantime, I discovered this nasty rash right on the, like, underline, uh, underwear uh, line where your leg meets your groin. And I'm riding around on a garden cart for almost three months now because uh, I can't use my uh, my right uh, leg. And... Uh, there's nothing we can do except for just uh, wait uh, let time take its toll. And so I have this nasty rash. Uh, I don't know anything about goat soap. I've never tried that. It sounds, I've tried milk soap before, so maybe I have, but. Uh huh. It could have been cow's milk or goat's milk. Yeah. Goat's frequently used in right? And I think it is. And you know what? You make me so happy. Because I have uh, a bad, 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 bad uh, intestine, colon, uh, you know, stomach all the way down situation. And I am now going to address it in the proper fashion like I should with the proper doctors and setting it all up just like a wise woman would. In the meantime, I know I need to get these enzymes into my body somehow. I can't put it down my throat, though. So this might be, like, the superior alternative. Like, what else could I do? This It doesn't have to go through my gut, but I need this in my skin. My skin is drying. My bones are brittle. Everything's, uh, the, the, the marrow's turned into water. It should be, you know, firm, and now it's not, and it's, uh, all these uh, stress fractures, like splinters on the inside, you know, not on the outside, on the inside, where the marrow is. It's all very, very gross, very, very upset over all of this. And 
So John has goat soap. <laughs> I'll try it. So, so I I hear you. You are being told that the insides of your bones have lots of little stress fractures. Right. And this and, and this is a, years, this is a doctor finally, who looked at an this is a doctor who looked at an X-ray. No, these are this is you know down in the city. This is a a, a building just for uh, you know bones, and you have every type of doctor in there, and it's like eight stories with you know 150 doctors. So. Whatever I need, I'm all right there all the time, all the, you know, and so I'm going to do that. And what I'm being told is that um, they keep calling me back. The more people that look at me, the more they're confused and, and you know, they know there's a lot of different stuff going on. I've neglected my body for a long, long time because I couldn't get the help I needed, so I just decided to try to get any help I could provide for myself and support myself in a loving way. And I did that, but then I had a tragedy. And uh, five years ago, I had a great tragedy, and I lost all my support. And um, I, I'm, I'm, I have a grandson now, so I have to, have to do everything in my power to make every decision mean something and matter in my energy and, you know, everything that way, uh, you know, time and, 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 and trust, the biggest thing, trust. I can trust where I am, what care I'm going to get, the care I am getting, and I'm going to continue to get. So anyway, I'm let's... So happy. I'm so Thank happy you. to hear that. And I hope you're continuing to drink your nourishing herbal infusions, which are no, one of the most important right ways to build. I'm, I'm not yeah, right now well, because I can't you're move, Ed. You're right. I know I'm wrong. You need to I be drinking your nourishing herbal infusions. I, All the rest of it will hardly yeah. matter if you're not drinking your infusions. I, I keep telling myself this every day, every day, every day, and I've been trying to build up my strength, and I am. So here is what I want to talk about, about stress and how it can okay. motivate a person to build that, that, you know, that stress can motivate a person to, you know, to Elizabeth build up. Ross, my mentor, was very much in favor of stress. So here's she said, what I stress discovered. is what makes a bridge stay up. Stress is what holds a big building up. Right. Mm. right. So she encouraged right. us to seek stress and right. to learn how to accommodate stress. Right. So for right. my biggest problem for 20 years has been I've been advised not to do uh, what they call weight-bearing activities except for walking. And walking an animal increases that. Uh, activity, so a horse or a dog or a goat or, you know, even a, you know, a child, you know, holding somebody's hand, whatever, you know, just having that, you know, where you have to get in sync with the motion and you kind of get the energy from another that way and it, 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 it really does help that you can increase your, your, your weight bearing activity. So anyway, that's what I lost five years so ago. So who was it that you who was it that suggested that you did not do weight-bearing activity um, it, be, my, because of some my, other condition that's going on? 
my special doctors in New York City that I've been with for 15 years, and now I'm going back to. I I I, huh? I have been away from them for 10 years, huh? and you know I did and what they so said. They, I got better. And they advised you to avoid uh, weight bearing exercise. What did they suggest you do instead? That's what I just tried to explain, and I'll say it again. Thank you, Susan, okay. for the opportunity. Um, they suggested that walking would be the best. And first I had to learn how to walk and get balanced without falling. And, and I did that barefoot, you know, in sand. And, and then, you know, I live up here. So that was a challenging idea right there. But I found my spot. And then, on, and I did it with my dog. Uh, they said, get you know, I was have your dog, you know, trained ser- uh, service dog. I did that. That was the best help ever. Because I yes. had six legs, now not two. I had six right. legs. Right. And he, great partner. Oh, great partner. So when I lost him, I said, let me give it a go. Oh, oh, that's the tragedy. I hear you. Yes. Thank you. And, of course, the grief is worse than the physical. I said, but I will oh. go till if something happens, then I have to make that work again. And it's very, tell you that. So anyway, the stress thing on the bones, the females are special with stress. What they can do with stress is magical. I called you, I think, last time, and I said, I'm going to do an experiment and take two female plants, let them grow together. I'm going to bring death to one, and I'm going to let the other one live longer and wonder what's going to happen to me. Because no one's using me. What should I do? What should I do? She made seeds. Not a lot, but they are the juiciest, darkest, brownest. Oh, I can't wait to see what I get. (laughs) And then I started thinking about this thing with my bones. And I'm like, I know this is happening because it's forced. I was ready to be... 95 yesterday, you know, not yesterday, but, you know, I don't know, two weeks ago. <laughs> maybe maybe even three days ago. I don't know who's counting, right? But I've been, I've been trying to fight this idea, and, and I felt like, no, I feel better. Just like, let's just go into, you know, your quiet solitude, hermitage. Now I want to move to the city. I want to. I want to make seeds. All right. Yeah. I'm 58 so, years old. Let, so let me be up. really strong about this. All these things you're doing for your bones are really wonderful, and drinking nourishing herbal infusions is the thing that will really make all of those things be effective. I know. Um, can I ask a question so about it, that? Is there so any way to like make a big batch and freeze it or something? Because I can't, I just can't get up and do it all. Like, like once a week, I can. That's about all I have energy wise. I hear you. Should, should I just hire somebody? So, like, so what should I do? Let's think, let's think about the energy that's okay. required. Okay. okay. So the energy that you need to make an infusion is um, to get out a pan 
and I would suggest a pan that holds a gallon. Do you have a pan that holds a gallon plus of water, say a pan that holds a gallon and a half of water? Or is that too big and awkward for you to use? Too big and awkward for me to use? I'm afraid to carry a uh, little bit over a quart of, I have like a glass Pyrex Whistler, because sometimes uh-huh. I'll forget I have it on the stove. So I have to so have, you have a you have a vessel that boils a quart of water at a time. Yeah, a little bit more, but you know, basically. So that's what quart, you can make yeah. is a quart of infusion at a time. Yeah. And, and you can I'm do that repeatedly. You can that. do that repeatedly. You can I'm, you can you know yeah. I'm afraid to do that with the with the with the strains I'm I'm at because the stove is so but high. What I'm saying is oh. It's so easy to do it once, just in, once in the evening. It's only if, about right. five minutes. No, but I just, I just solved the problem. Don't you have? I'm afraid. I, you know, yes, if you want to make a gallon high. of it and have and extra, you, yes, but then that becomes a problem because then you have to deal with a gallon of water boiling. No, 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 no. I can't even get up to get the the stand up with the thing. I'm afraid to even like if I, you know, if I have a water and I lose my balance or something because I'm standing on oh, one leg and I'm so weak. So can you put the pan on the stove, bring the water to the pan, if you can't move the pan with the water in it, bring it up to a boil and put the herb in the pan, stir it in and put a lid on it. Yes, I can. Can you I do have that? A quart, I have a quart all clad perfect pan. Yes, thank you, Susan. Oh, all I right. love it. So that's all you have to do, and then you do that every night. Thank you. And you because know what? it's actually more work to make a whole week's worth than it is to just make it every night. Yeah, and I really want to concentrate on the comfort because not only do I want to drink it, I want to put it in uh, my foot bath and put my foot in it and just, like, let it go, ah. What a great idea. But, again, the other nourishing herbal infusions are important. Are good. I know, I know, I know. And they help your body to um, do other things with your bone. They're all bone active. Can I ask a question about comfrey? Please. Um, for, for, for the, um, if, if I'm going to, uh, you know, I always think, okay, the leaves are good for, you know, drinking, but if I want to, I don't have any uh, root or anything. I have to buy something prepared or, or you know, uh, that's better for the, for, for like uh, external use, right? The, um, like salve, the comfrey salve root. Comfrey salve is made both from the root and from the leaves, and they're pretty equal. The best comfrey salve that I ever saw and used, and still have a tiny bit of of these many, many years later, came from England, where they had actually extracted the allantoin from the roots and then added it into the ointment, so it was a super black, thick ointment, and it was in lanolin. And lanolin was such a good base for it. So what I often use, if I'm using comfrey externally, is I use the leaves from the infusion. Really? Okay. I've heard you say that. So here's, let's go through this step by step. You're going to fill your pan with a quart of water. 
you're going to bring it to a boil, you're going to add one ounce of dried comfrey leaves. Yeah, you're going to stir it in and let it come to a boil again, put a tight lid on it, turn the fire off, and go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. The next morning, you're going to do whatever you can to get the liquid out of the pan. If you right. can't pick the pan up, then can you dip uh, some kind of cup or ladle yes. into it and ladle it yes, to a strainer? To make it, yes, to make it lighter, I could do that, and then it would be easier to strain. Yes, I can do that. Easier to strain, okay. Yes. In fact, and then I, I want you to, put, hours, then I want I, you to I, I put, about the, three to put the comfrey leaves back up, in so. the pot. Right. I want you to put the comfrey leaves back in the pot after you've strained them, so don't worry about squeezing it. The right. leaves can be really wet, and right. they go right back in the pot, yeah. and you're going to add two cups of water to the pot. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, yeah. And okay. you're going to re-brew that, and then you'll have two more cups of infusion, and you can squeeze the the leaves after four to six yeah. hours. Oh, It'll yeah, be ready. And those leaves are perfect for poulticing. Oh, then put the leaves in the cheesecloth and then put it on my, wrap it around my Exactly. Pan. And then yes. put the bandage around it. And, oh, that'll feel yes. so good. <gasps> yes. I can almost feel, feel my bones sucking it in just thinking about it. <laughs> and it will, because you've done it twice, it will be, easier for it to go into the skin. I really appreciate your advice more and more and more about the more you cook things, the more accessible the minerals are, and I've I've been doing this, and I know it's improving me. I'm just like, I'm like a day late and a dollar short on this stuff, but I'm going to try harder, and that's why I'm calling you to ask you. I'm so glad I did, you know, me too. And you know what? You're the third or fourth person who said that very same thing today is that, yes, okay, this is what's going on with me. What I need to do right here is I just need to apply myself a little more assiduously to this. And yeah. Wow, yep. hooray for all of you. And the planets must be lining up, giving some real oomph. You go, girl. Well, I think we're all learning how to open up during this time because we're finally having an open discussion about we might not wake up tomorrow. You know what I mean? So let's get it all out there. Why not? Right? Right. None of us are guaranteed another day. And I'm really trying to be grateful in the morning and say yesterday didn't work out too good but today I have a new chance to talk to new people and ask new questions new thoughts, new everything and you know and thank you so much Susan you know it's a little difficult and sometimes intimidating to ask you things but more and more and more if I just allow you to lead me into where I need to be right off the bat I'm good and then away we go, and it's it's like a balloon ride with you. It's so easy. It's thrilling, I'm, actually. I'm so happy that it's so easy. Thank you so <laughs> much for telling me that. Well, thank you, hon. And uh, great uh, blessings to everyone tonight. 
so much. <laughs> Dream blessings. Good night. Good night. All right, and I will remind everyone listening. If you have a question tonight, please press 1 to line yourself up in the queue. At this time, we have one caller that has pressed 1 to signal they have a question calling from the 305 area code. From the 305, you are live with Susan. Hi, good evening. Um, Good evening. Thank you. Um, I'm calling with a small-ish question, and then I had something that I wanted to tell you and see what you thought about it. Okay. Um, so I live in South Florida and like pretty far south. So I've, you know, read a lot of your books and many of the herbs in your books don't grow here, but I have made a lot of acquaintances with the herbs that do grow around me. And, um, I've tried, you know, to get seeds and grow some of the herbs here, but Anyway, I took a trip up north where my family lived and where I was raised to Virginia. And along the way, I stopped at North Carolina where my um, great-grandparents had a farm, but it's kind of abandoned now. But I just kind of stopped to look at the place and just kind of have some, you know, memories relived or whatever. And in front of my granny's house was a huge poke bush and I just thought, wow, I recognized it, even though I've never seen one before. And it was covered in berries. And I just, I picked a lot of the berries, and I thought, this is going to be great. So I, I picked all these berries, and then we continued our trip to Virginia. And I put the berries all over the hotel room. <laughs> so, like, on all the surfaces, there were, like, all kind of things that I had picked that were drying. And... Um, when I visited my dad, I found a bunch of pokes growing that he didn't want, and so I dug it up and got the root. And then I, you know, went to the liquor store, and I bought 100-proof vodka, and I made a poke root tincture, and I had been trying to dry out the berries to save in a glass jar, but some of them wouldn't dry, and I had to leave. And instead of, you know, I didn't... I didn't think they'd survive the trip back down without getting smashed, so I threw them into the poke root tincture. Is that a bad thing to do? I don't know, like, what, if I ruin my tincture, will it, because I I heard that the seeds were the most poisonous part, and I know I've made, like, a milk thistle seed tincture before, so I know the alcohol can extract from the seeds, and so I'm just a little confused because I've never made a poke tincture before. I wonder if I did it wrong. Well, you didn't make poke root tincture. Oh. Right? Well, I made a poke berry poke root tincture, I guess. Right. That's what you made. Poke root and berry tincture. Well, is it still, like, okay to use? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. You will have to try it out and let us know. Okay. (laughs) I don't know how many berries you put in. Yeah, it was probably, like, maybe three or four stems. It was whatever wouldn't dry up all the way. So, all right, well, I'll just give it a try, I guess, you know. Give it a try, and if you, get, you know, if you throw up or <laughs> get really bad diarrhea or have hallucinations, <laughs> then you'll say, I don't know it. hmm, that didn't work so well. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's right. Right, you know, start with a really small dose, right? It's not going to kill you. You're not going to die. Right, that's not going to happen. You could just. Sit. I didn't want to. 
I was out in that's my about, But that's about the worst thing that happened, right? Okay. And believe me, herbalists before you have gotten sick. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you. I was I was just wondering because I was pretty confident when I was making it, and then I started thinking, oh, I don't know. Well, okay. So, so do, so do call back and let us know once once it's sat for six weeks, and you can tell us, hey. I was able to get this much happened. Yeah, really. <laughs> we all, truly, that. everyone who's listening right now is saying, please call back and tell us. <laughs> Very good. So Very good. the thing I wanted to tell you was that, um, like I said, I live in South Florida, and I live in an apartment, so I have a pretty big-sized balcony, and I have a little garden out there. And one thing that I really like to do is I have I have like a fascination with ficus trees and I like to go walking and just look at I just think they're so beautiful like and I mean like Asiatic ficus trees so we have a lot of them here that are called like strangler figs that grow on top of other trees and they kind of smother them out after a while. And then in the middle, it's hollow, and you get this cool kind of skeleton of all the roots that have wrapped around from the top down. And I just, I think they're so pretty. And so I've kind of made like these little, I guess kind of like a bonsai style gardens of these little trees. And I, I don't know, it's just something I've done for probably like 10 years. And one day I was in a garden supply store, and a woman that I do not know she walked up to me and she said, you know, any plant could be your medicine and it doesn't matter if it's a medicinal plant or not. And I don't know her. And she just walked up to me and said it. And I was like, oh, okay, thank you. Nice advice. <laughs> and she walked away. And I kind of was thinking like, okay, well, I have this relationship where I go out and I sit with these three trees like every day and I miss them and I spray them and I talk to them and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And one day I was just thinking, like, I never, like, tried to see if they had anything to say to me. I've just been talking to them. So I I don't know. Like, it was really weird. They, I got this, like, kind of an image in my mind, and I could have been making it up. I don't know. But I got this image of, like, when I was walking one day and saw a strangler fig just smothering out a tree. And then I got the image of my children's faces afterwards. And then I kind of started thinking like, yeah, my kids are smothering the heck out of me. <laughs> it really sounds mean, but I have two older daughters that I feel kind of like on the verge of just, you know, goodbye, go away. But, and then I have a little boy, which, you know, I homeschool, so it's a lot, and I just thought, like, it did the trees give me an image of that, which I wouldn't have thought of before, because I know you've told people that it would be something that you wouldn't think on your own, like, how can my darling children smother me out, but I wonder if I made it up, or I, I, either way, I guess it doesn't matter, because it's been helpful, because I've kind of taken steps to reduce how much they have to rely on me, and I feel a lot better after doing that. So either way, if I made it up or not, it was helpful. But I just wanted to know what you had to say about that. Well, I think that what you're doing is absolutely wonderful. And I'm so 
glad that for whatever reason that that came so clear to you and that you were able to, um, it sounds like, pretty easily um, do something to help yourself in that situation. Couldn't be better. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to me, really, where the message comes from. People say, you know, it comes from a guide or it comes from a spirit or it's channeled or it's your inner knowing. That's all good by me. Whatever we want to say, I, I don't have any gripe with any of it. Yeah, okay. Well, I guess I was thinking the same thing because, like I said, I was like, well, it doesn't really matter. But I just thought it was weird that, you know, I had this lady come up to me and say this out of nowhere and then, I I don't know, maybe it was just a little motivation from somewhere else that made me just think on my own. I don't know, but I'm still going to give the trees the credit. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> right. Well, thank you very much for having my call, and I hope you have a great night. Thanks for sharing with us. We value you. Thank you. Dream blessings. Good night. Good night. All right, and at this time, I do not see any listeners that have queued up with a question. Um, we do have a couple email questions, if you'd like to go there. Certainly. Okay, um, let's see. Um, hi, Susan. I am new to you in herbs. Last week, I was riding my bike, and I was hit by a car. I ended up under the tire of the car, and I have eight broken ribs, lots of road rash, and one of my breast implants popped. I am in pain from the ribs, and I'm doctoring lots of skin wounds, but the big concern is the popped implant. What are the effects of a silicone implant popping and leaking into my body? Are there any things that I can do to lessen any harmful effects? Thank you. Ay, 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 huh? Oh, what a drag. I, I, I truly do not even know the first thing about um, what one has to do if a silicon breast implant has burst, but I am certain that the people who make silicon breast implants do no, and should be consulted immediately, and should also be told that the implant broke. I know that there can be some difficulties if the silicon migrates. And so I suspect um, that the suggestion will be uh, for there to be surgical um, remedy, at least the removal of the pot implant, and possibly to search for and remove as much migrating silicon as possible. Anytime I'm faced with a big 
thing that's going on that seems kind of scary to me and I'm not really sure what to do. Um, one of the things that I do is I take some motherwort and I ask my body, is there something you can tell me about what you need from me right now to help us get through this? I'm listening and I think that you have heard me tell the story about miscarrying and going off nonetheless to teach a small group of midwives on Long Island. I got somebody to drive me down there. And I thought, what better place to be, right, the day after you've miscarried the win with a group of mis- midwives. And I asked one of the midwives to do a bi- bimanual exam on me to make sure that my uterus was empty. And she did, and she said it was. And as we were leaving Long Island, we were going to spend the night in Manhattan, I asked the person driving me to stop, and I went in the store, the little convenience store, and I bought a bag of Pepperidge Farm chocolate, chocolate chip cookies. And I got back in the car. I did not offer the driver a single cookie. I mm. ate every single one of those cookies. This very mm. unlike me. And even as I was doing it, I was rather being aghast. I'm like, really? You can eat another one, really? And then you're eating another one. Okay, I'm, I'm here with you. You're eating another cookie. Got it. <laughs> and we parked, walked a few blocks, went up a few flights of stairs. I went into the bathroom and passed a piece of placenta as big as my hand. Wow. And I know it was the chocolate that did it. But that was a medicinal dose of chocolate. My body said, excuse me, we need some chocolate right now. So, and certainly, you know, through the whole um, having my guts literally tossed (laughs) um, last year, uh, I have had opportunity over and over again to really be attuned what is making my body happy and what my body is craving and not be attuned to my own paranoia, fear, and constriction. So I think that's a big part of it, too. Because it's pretty easy to get lost in food foibles. I'm not hearing another voice. Have we been disconnected? No, I'm I'm listening. Oh, okay, good. You're still there. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, it sounds like definitely good advice to call the, the manufacturer of the, the implants. Yeah. Get lost about things without, you know, doing some homework. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And the sooner the better. Yeah. Again, I don't know specifically, I don't know for sure, but there's very a very strong thought in my head which is saying not good. Do something mm-hmm. soon. So I pass that. I pass that thought along. Not good. Do something soon. Yeah, thanks. And I'm actually, actually concerned that it that it's an email question. That it's uh, that hopefully it hasn't been too long since I think we had a little time for email questions last week, so it shouldn't be shouldn't have been lingering for a very long time. Right. No, it actually just came in um, end of last week, so this would be the first show that it could be aired. Mm -hmm. Yay, I'm happy. Me too. Me too. All right. I will remind everyone listening, if you would like to ask Susan a question live tonight, please press 1 to let us know that you have a question, and we will open up your line to bring you on live. Uh, we do have another email question. Um, I don't see anyone in the queue who has pressed one yet at this time. Okay, let's go with the other email question. All right. Uh, let's see. Um, my my friend is a devoted listener and fan. A few weeks ago, she told me about something you mentioned about a concept you spoke of, feeling uh, another person's pain, and she suggested that's feeling another person's pain. She suggested that you said it is not a good idea. And I'm not sure what you may have meant. And she did not think she could explain it with the same oomph that you did. I listened to several episodes of your show, but I could not find the episode that you talked about this. Can you please explain what you mean by feeling someone else's pain? Does this mean that I should resist offering help to others all the time during painful experiences? It is difficult for me to imagine sitting back or staying silent when a friend or family member is struggling. Can you please explain the idea of feeling someone's pain and help me understand how to be helpful without being harmful? Thank you. What a great question. I think that many of us have been in a situation where we were feeling emotional pain. And that emotional pain has led others to comfort us. And we haven't felt comforted. We've felt shut up. Now, this is subtle. But if we think about it and we think about what's really happened, much of the time if we're emotionally upset, the people around us want us to calm down. They want to comfort us to quiet us. We're certainly not saying that You should ignore people. But perhaps you're on the right track. If someone's in emotional pain, that you don't necessarily comfort them. 
because comforting is often fevery. It's stealing the pain. It's making the pain go away. What can we do instead present to the pain? What would it be like if you were grieving the loss of someone or something very dear to you? And instead of being comforted, you were companioned. In many cultures, when we grieve, people sit with us. They don't trying to make our grief go away. They are there to witness the grief, to allow us to grieve, to experience that unifying human emotion of grief, of loss. friends who've worked on ambulances and as emergency medical personnel talk about how this extends right out into physical pain that most of the people who work in those situations are very uncomfortable with physical pain and they want people who are in physical pain to be quiet and they comfort them by saying things like, there, there, it's not so bad, or we'll get to you in the hospital soon, or I'm going to give you some pain medication, or whatever. But again, that comfort is not really comfort. It's a way of dealing the pain. It's a way of saying, please, you're making me very, very uncomfortable by being in so much pain. Could you stop it? There's a really, to me, fascinating interplay between physical pain that I feel and the reactions of people around me to my expressions of that pain. Hmm. Have you ever been companioned in pain rather than comforted? And what was that like for you? For many of us, the companionship that we've had in pain has come from an animal. Because animals don't try to steal our pain. Animals, in fact, are incapable of stealing our pain, aren't they? Because it doesn't trigger their pain, we might say. I know there have been wonderful times when I've been in emotional pain, when I've gone to the barn and laid down with the goats cried upon them. They're right there as companions. They're not going to say, there, there, it's not so bad. They're just going to lay there and chew their coat and be okay with my crying. 
So that's what I mean about not stealing other people's pain. And what that requires is the very daunting work of becoming able to bear your own pain. Insofar as you can bear your own pain, insofar as you can bear your own anger, you can be a companion, you can be a presence for someone who's experiencing strong emotion. Insofar as you can't do that, you can't be present for it. One of my teachers talks about the scene that we've seen in the public place, usually the supermarket, where a child wants something, doesn't get it, starts, and the parent says, if you don't be quiet, I'm going to give you something to cry about. Leaving one thinking, the kid's already crying. Why on earth would you do anything like that? And the answer is that the parent feels stifled. The parent does not want to be in the middle of a supermarket with a crying kid. Really doesn't want that to be happening, but is clamping down on their throat to prevent themselves from screaming at the top of their lungs. And so the child screaming is awful in a much more terrible way to the parent. Because it's something they really want to do. And I kind of flip of this years ago. I was on an airplane flight. And it was bad weather. And all the flights had been canceled or delayed. And they were rebooking everybody. And we were in this endless line that was like, you know, going forward one person every hour. It was just like, ah, impossible. And I thought, if I have to stand here, even another five minutes, I am going to scream. I really am going to scream. And this very reasonable voice said, don't do that, Susan, because you'll lose your place in line, because they will take you out of line. And I thought, all right, is her child around? And I looked around. Sure enough, there was a child about three years old. And I looked at the kid, and I said, do it for me. Scream. I don't care what you scream about. Just scream. And I looked at the kid, and the kid looked at me, opened his mouth, and started screaming at the top of its lungs. I said, thanks. Awesome. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> I bet everybody appreciated it, in fact. <laughs> Cathartic for the entire group of you and mine. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, All right. Um, I do not see any listeners that have queued up yet. Uh, one Pressing one on your keypad will get you queued up with um, a question. Um, we actually, there may be a listener. Oh, no, it flashed in and flashed out. So don't, don't see anyone queued up with a question just yet. Um, and I want email questions. So where would you like to go? Oh, well, I have 
I have been thinking about the Comfrey Conference and very um, kind of excited um, about putting together a wish list and thinking about the last time I did that. I was given an opportunity to make a video about menopause and I put together a wish list of the women that I wanted in the group to talk about menopause. I wanted a, a woman who had come to menopause very young, one who come very late, one who had um, had children during or after menopause. Um, I wanted a woman whose menopause was um, surgical or chemical. I had I had really had like a list of women that I wanted, and they got them all for me. Wow. And it's so wonderful to have all of those different voices and all of those different experiences. And um, what we did when we first got together was we did a talking stick where each woman had really, literally, as much time as she wanted to talk about herself and her menopause. And what was going on right then, what had been going on, what she liked, what she didn't like, what she had uh, found good help for, what she needed some help for. And we basically spent the whole day doing that. And then I was able to sit that evening, and because I have a very good memory, especially a memory for women's stories, I was able to kind of fill in my outline, the things that I wanted to focus on in the video and that I wanted this woman and this woman and this woman for this aspect and this woman and that woman and the other woman for this aspect. And so then I was able to say, you know, of this whole story that you told me, there's this one little part that I would like you to share. I'd like you to even make it more succinct. You, in fact, have 60 seconds to do it. And we kind of practice and rehearse to really get her story, like, really finely honed. And, um, yeah, it was, so it was a really interesting way to work with story and work with women's experiences. And it's been coming up in my memory as I'm working at this comfrey conference because of the same thing. It's giving um, my unconscious a kind of avenue to uh, let me know um, who I want. Like, one of the things that came up today was my bag of comfrey that I buy from Frontiers is not for human consumption. Does yours? Yeah. Wherever I order it from, it always does. Mm-hmm. How come? Because they are labeling it as if it was the wild plant, not the sparrow hybridized plant that does not have well, fertilizer. Well, how come? Well, how come? Is there a law? No. Is there a rule? How come? Who decided? They did. Who did that? I want to know. See, this is the kind of things that that are coming up in my mind as I think about the company. Yes. Yeah. 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 Because people say to me, well, I bought some company, but I got the wrong stuff because it says I can't use it. And... I, I want to know why does it say that? 
Mm. But it doesn't say on the bottle of alcohol, not for human consumption. Mm. Right. But alcohol is certainly more poisonous than comfrey. Yeah. So, how come? What's going on? Mm. Is this is this one of those things that somebody just decided it would be a safe and good thing to do, but there really isn't any law or rule or reason? Wow. I love that. Great. That would be a great thing to explore. I love that. Yeah. So if anybody listening has any information about that or can direct me toward anybody who would have any information about that, that would be a wonderful presentation at the Comfrey Conference, right? What kind Mm -hmm. of laws and rules are there actually around Comfrey? And if there aren't, how come people act like there are? Profound. I love that. Right right at the the basics. I love that. Just right, right there. I love it. I haven't, I have not exhausted myself searching for problems caused by comfrey, but I've looked and I haven't found any. I've also been a publicly known herbalist for decades and would think that if anybody had had a problem with comfrey, they likely would have mentioned it to me or mentioned it at one of the many places where I've taught. Right. And certainly it's not conclusive if I say that I don't know of anyone who's been harmed by comfrey, nor has anyone told me of anyone who's been harmed by comfrey, nor have I seen any validated report of anybody who's been harmed by comfrey. Mm. There's, a, there's a couple of apocryphal stories that make the rounds, um, but I haven't been able to really track those down. The one about the woman who was hospitalized because she was taking comfrey root pepsin pills by the handful and drinking comfrey root tea, you know, as many cups as she could a day and wound up in the hospital but recovered and was fine. Mm. This is this is the story that, that when pressed that people come up with. And I want to know, are there really other others? If so, if people have been having difficulty with comfrey, if you've had, you know, liver blood work done and your liver's not functioning well because of comfrey, I'd like to know. I'd like to hear about it. My liver, after decades of drinking comfrey leaf infusion, certainly was top of the form in all of my blood work. Michael's blood work shows his liver is functioning superbly. 
I've had herbalists tell me, ha, huh, well, you can't, you, you, you can't trust that. You could just one day drop dead from the effects of comfrey on your liver. Mm. And I'm sorry, to me, that's just paranoia. That's not how the liver operates. Right. Certainly you can carry viruses in your liver, hepatitis, like hepatitis C in your liver without knowing it, without having any symptoms. But it's not active, and as soon as it gets active, you get symptoms. And so long as it's not active, interestingly enough, it's not doing you any damage, although it could be at any point. Still and all, there would be symptoms. So I think that... We should ask people. Plenty of people are drinking comfrey leaf infusion. Is it just my liver that's doing fine? Is it just Michael's liver that's doing fine? Is, how is your liver? Is your liver doing fine? Is your liver not doing fine? <laughs> as far as I know, mine's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Blessed be. <laughs> Blessed be for the liver. Yay. Yay. Mm. And we we did actually have, we have two callers that have queued up with questions. Um, okay. You wanna, all right. Right ahead. Well, our next, our next caller is calling in from the 530 area code. From the 530, you are live with Susan. Hello. Hi, hi. You can hear me. Okay. <laughs> um, my name's Jessica, and I have listened to your show for um, a couple of years now. And I, uh, I think I'm, I guess, like a hobby herb- herbalist. Uh-huh. I really enjoy working with herbs. And um, my question is about the holidays. So it's somewhat. So I make things for myself and for my family. Um, I thought, you know, I don't want to buy gifts. Like I, I try to buy gifts for people, but I wanted to kind of hear your perspective on, um, or if you had any ideas, I guess, um, moving into holiday time, because I do really want to give gifts when we have family gatherings or with friends. But, um, I find myself kind of at a loss with, you know, I don't want to spend a lot of money um, for things that I don't know if people even need or not. And then um, I like to make things, but, you know, again, it's like time that I've spent. And so I just wanted, I don't know if that's actually a clear enough question, but. It's um, it's a good question, but give me a little more information. Would you be making these gifts by yourself or do you have children who will be participating? I do have children who could who could participate. Yeah, and they're how old? Uh, They are ten and fifteen. He's going to be sixteen in December. Yeah. So Uh, two boys. Easy gifts for working with a ten-year-old and a teenager is anything in the kitchen. Yes. Cookies. Have you ever had anybody say, 
Oh, gosh, she gave me some cookies. I just didn't like it. <laughs> no, everybody loves cookies. <laughs> right. They're fun to make. It's a, you know, it's a thrill that you can, without breaking the bank, get lots of decorations the kids can put on them, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. Right, all kinds and of silver balls and glitter huh? and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> right, you know, splurge, spend, spend $30 on decorations. Right, yeah, to make lots of cookies. Um, to make lots of cookies and just let the kids have a grand time. That's, yeah, that's really what it's about. As I get older, that, now if you want to enjoy get, the time. You want to pursue your herbal hobby there, you mm-hmm. could also put any kind of powdered herb that you have in mm-hmm. your cookie dough. So astragalus powder goes well in cookie dough, shiitake powder goes oh. well in cookie dough, mm-hmm. goji berry powder, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, that's really good. And you can just... You don't even have to adjust your recipe. Just add some of it to your recipe. Yeah, like chips or nuts or something like that. Yeah. Right. Whatever our sense is about it, to have fun with it. Yeah. Yeah, because I really... Think that'll work for you? That's a great idea. And I thought, I thought about doing something like that. I guess that's why I called, just get some, like, neutral perspective on this. It's not like my mother, you know, but um, because it's like, is it enough? <laughs> um, yes, you know, it's I, enough. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Is your love enough? Right. <laughs> yes, your love is enough. All right, I had to call in and ask about that. Yeah, thank you so it much. absolutely <laughs> is. Yes. Your love, your care, and your joy. Think That's about the, it will focus on. That the tradition yeah. that you are supporting in your family, which is a tradition of joy instead of a tradition of nail-biting and hand-wringing. Yeah. That's, yeah. Been there, done that. And I'm not looking right. no forward fun. to the holidays because of it some, um, a lot of the time. So, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. You're welcome. Green blessing. Thanks for your question. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right. Good night. All right. And our next caller is uh, calling from the 845 area code. From the 845, you are live with Susan. Susan? Hello. Hi. Oh, my gosh. It's me again, your neighbor. Hi. Uh, well, I was thinking, I can't believe no one's calling to talk to you, but I just love hearing you talk. Okay. <laughs> what can we talk you about? You always have fascinating things going on as well. Excuse me? I said you always seem to have interesting questions and fascinating things going on as well. Well, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that because sometimes I feel like that awkward, you know, teenager that, like, everybody bullies, you know? Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
with the buck teeth and the big glasses and but you know what corrects that really quick? What you just said before animals and little babies. And babies got, oh, you're so right. Babies make such good companions, don't they? I, they're not they're I, not at all distressed yes. if you're upset. Is that unless you're of course they're a caretaker and then they're very then they get very distressed if you're upset. Yes. And this is the dynamics. My son is a caretaker, the number one, because he's a, a single dad. I mean, he has a girlfriend, but, you know. And uh, I'm the primary, I guess, you know, madame, whatever you want to call me. <laughs> he gave me my first high five, 13 months. Oh, it was so cute, and he said it because um, I told him I was going to take him to see some Broadway shows like Lion King and Cats, and it was weird because the kid can't talk, but he knew what I was saying, and he gave me a high five. That <laughs> that, that told me everything, like, like you know when a dog does that, you know, like, you, you, talk, you talk to animals, we don't need to share the same words. But we do share the same physical, you know, connections, whatever it is, a bump in the head, a rub on the nose, a kiss on the cheek, lips, you know, here, there, the butt, you know, wherever you want to go, the toes, you know, everybody's weird, like, you know, everybody's got their preference where they want to show you their gratitude. All right. (laughs) Anyway... Susan, I think you have given us, and if if I had to try to explain you in a nutshell, I would say she is the queen of gratitude. You 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 really know how to let everybody know that whatever you do, wherever you go, whatever you got to do, wherever you got to go. It's your choice and have gratitude. Don't have an attitude. If it doesn't go right, make a better choice next time, right? Gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. It always seems to work. I'm so glad you two are on the gratitude attitude that's what Grandmother Twilight used to say to us. She would look at us and she would say, I want an attitude of gratitude here. Is that why I'm saying that? I did not even remember. Yep. That is Grandmother yep. Twilight. Yes, you're right. Grandmother Twilight. Oh, my gosh. Attitude oh my gosh. of gratitude. I am. Ever so I'm, on. I'm 23 again. Wow. <laughs> holy moly. <laughs>
uh, my daughter was a little unhappy with it, but I said, no, no, it's okay. And then they started to fizz. And the watermelon rind also got that white, scummy stuff. And now, finally, after sitting there for what seems like forever, the ginger and water and sugar has finally gotten that white, scummy stuff, and it's gotten a little cloudy. Those bubbles at last. So I am on my way to ginger fizz. And I made probably the wow. best sourdough bread ever made the other day. I was a little impatient. I only let the loaves rise for three hours, and so they cracked when I put them in the oven to bake. But as I said, it tastes good even if it's a little ugly. So that's what I have fermenting is ginger fizz and my sourdough starter. What do you have fermenting? My God. (laughs) All right. All of our guts ferment as they, as in peace and beauty, eh? You know, I've been thinking. No, I've been thinking about uh, fermentation for a few years, and uh, also making like my own uh, natural yeast uh, mead or beer or whatnot, whatnot. Uh, I'm very sensitive to any commercial, uh, like, champagne yeast. And it's because I believe what I've been told by the experts is that large particles of these proteins can pass through my gut and um, they're bothersome, but the little ones, you know, aren't so much. So that would be the natural, the natural so, um, I don't know why all these things have to happen to me. I used to, I guess I drank gasoline too many times or something. I don't know. I, I did drink bubbles as a kid, and I thought I could sing like alfalfa. I did do that. My mother wasn't a take-it-to-the-hospital kind of lady back in the day, you know, back in the 60s, you know. You got you got a cup of milk and a loaf of bread. You know that's what they did. Boy. <laughs> <laughs> that was so some neighborhood thing you were hanging anyway, out with there. I, I want to do what you just did, and um, I think I asked you uh, somewhere along the line about the ginger um, because of the water content. I, I was a little nervous about, you know, if I put it in oil to try to preserve it or honey, but uh, I like this idea of the sugar and the honey. And yeah, a lot of people think, oh, I can't have the sugar, but the yeast eats it right up, right? Exactly. So yeah, the, the fizz exactly? recipe that I found was a quart of water, a cup and a half of sugar. I use organic sugar. Um, and in one and three cups of fruit or fruit rind. Fruit or fruit rind of anything? I've done, so far, I've done peach, watermelon, elder, and ginger. Right, right, because it all has, so for the ginger, the yeast is on the skin already. Yeast is ubiquitous in the air around us. Yes. 
I know that, but you could add in an extra, like a peach or a blueberry or something, little Apple. fuzzy stuff Apple. on it, which is yeast, right? Apples. I like yes. that. Apples, right? That's, you know, people yeah. shine up the apples or rubbing off yeah. the yeast. But again, you just, yeah. you're, it's, you're not closing it off to the air. It's got a cloth yeah. cover over it, and you're opening it at least every 24 yeah. hours and stirring it. So right. you're, you're definitely right. introducing yeast. And I, I'm definitely interested in just soda, but I know if you let it go long enough, it turns to vinegar, and then it turns to, vinegar, to right. like wine, and then it turns to wine or mead, right, if you let it go long it's enough? A, it, it's hard for it to turn to wine if it's exposed to oxygen. Right. You have to keep feeding it, and I think you, you have better to have a pH meter. Oxygen at some point right. if you want wine. Yeah. And when we want not wine, we only let it yeah. ferment slightly, and or, then we bottle it. Right. And I, I don't really want wine. I want beer. But you still, want, you can ah, have a that's pH. a whole other thing. And oh. some people were talking yeah. about uh, how often their beer um, explodes. I like beer, yeah. It's like, uh, arr, I'm a pirate, you know. It's it's so, I don't know, in my blood, in my ancestral roots or something. The beer, the beer. Well, you know, I'm from across the pond. What can you say? <laughs> well, you know, the water, I'm, for most of uh, human existence on this planet, water has not been safe to drink. And so beer and wine has been the best alternative. Yeah, it was beer yeah. for breakfast for a long time. That's right. Uh, yeah. I still enjoy I it every German now and again myself. Watched a woman yeah. in her 80s walk in and order a beer for breakfast. <laughs> it's like, okay. Sure. Yep. Sure, sure. In fact, you know, is tomorrow Sunday? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's yeah. wonderful that well, you called in to talk. I'm wondering if Tori Hartman has made her way to us yet. Well, I bet she yeah. has. And thank you yeah. for entertaining us again, Susan. You're wonderful. You're welcome. You too. Dream please. Good night. <laughs> Did you say she's here? Yes, she is. Tori Hartman, the world-renowned author, spiritual teacher, and intuitive soul. She was born and raised in the free-thinking atmosphere of New York's Greenwich Village in the 60s, 1960s, of course. Tori has been aware of her psychic abilities since she was eight years old. After a near-death experience 25 years ago, she began having encounters with angels and they revealed profound fables that became the basis of the Chakra Wisdom Oracle Cards and the Chakra Wisdom Oracle Toolkit and how to read the cards for yourself and others. Tori has been featured in several highly acclaimed publications such as the New York Times and LA Business Journal. She's also worked with celebrities including Jeff Lewis flipping out on Bravo Network USA. Since then, Tori's impact has grown exponentially. Using the Chakra Wisdom Oracle Cards, along with their books, classes, and seminars, Tori continues to promote professional card reading. In classes and seminars, she offers a window to see the bigger picture while unveiling wisdom and finding the tapestry of purpose and inherited gifts. Welcome to the show, Tori. Well, thank you. Finally, right? <laughs> Through Hill and Dale, I got here. <laughs> Good. 
Good. All right. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. <laughs> I'm uh, remembering uh, my favorite answering machine message. Uh-huh. And I called up and it said, this is da-da-da-da-da. I'm a psychic. Don't bother to leave a message. I know you called. <laughs> oh, God. Are we, I can tell you what. I could go off for about an hour and answer machine messages. I was thinking about them the other day because we just, you know, obviously we don't have them anymore. Now you can just hang up and people know it's you because it's the caller ID. <laughs> exactly. So, different era. Man, are we living in a different era ever. Like it's, I feel like we're living, we're in this bubble, living inside a bubble that has a bubble. It's just, <laughs> it's like the strangest time. And, uh, but I also feel somehow it feels strangely familiar. So it's a very powerful time to be doing this particular work because I will tell you, Susan, you know this, you know, if you're not authentic, boy, you're getting exposed. You know, it's just very interesting. It's like a repeat of history, so to speak. So there you go. That's my little opening. But I've been been just really trying to focus and work, and it's been really hard the last couple months. And I think it's been hard for a lot of people, um, you know, to get back on track with just so much stress. Because we are living in a time that even though we're not aware of it, it's very stressful. You know, um, and I know so many people that are like, oh, I'm calm. And I'm like, then why are your nails bitten down? <laughs> you know, oh, that keeps me calm, you know. Oh, all right, then I'm, I'm, all, I'm all good on that, you know. It's just very interesting, um, you know, that we have become, I mean, really, we've gotten into a place where we're just used to living in high anxiety. And nobody's telling us that that's not normal. Like, you know, because we're just in it all the time. It's just a very, I think also we're seeing this really is the age of Aquarius. You know, a lot of people, I I can say that you and I are, you know, not of the same generation, but close enough. And I will say this, that maybe some of your listeners know this too. You know, the dawning of the age of Aquarius was a song we heard, what, 60s, 70s, 80s, you know. And the point I'm making is that we are in it now. This is it. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. This is what we were told of. And it was really, it started, uh, I want to say, a couple of years back. And we're really, we've hit all those Aquarian signs in this last, I want to say, year and a half. It's really quite astounding um, because it's, people aren't, they don't know what to expect from it. And I'm like, well, here you go. This is World War Three, And because we were told, you know, in the prophecy, um, and I know I'm going on about something, but this is kind of interesting, actually. Maybe you'll kind of dig this. I don't know how much woo you like, but <laughs> the woo-woo stuff. But um, something really interesting, I was reading some of the prophecies of, of Nostradamus. And it was interesting to see how it was interpreted like 30, 40, 50, 100 years ago, right? And a lot of it, I want to say more 50 years ago, people were really talking about the danger of Russia and the danger of, you know, nuclear war was going to happen, you know, in 2020. And, and you know, somebody was saying to me, well, that, you know, obviously didn't happen. And I said, but wait a minute. Didn't we have the war toward our nucleus? I mean, isn't, you know, just because they said nuclear that doesn't mean that it was like external. I mean, isn't COVID really attacking ourselves, the nucleus of ourselves? And this friend of mine said, oh my gosh. And I said, sometimes we, when we get 
spiritual hits or we get something that's true, it may not have, the definition may not be available yet. So it's funny because it's kind of like, one of my favorite books is Harold and the Purple Crayon. And I don't know if you remember, it's a children's book and Harold draws, you know, he, he uses a purple crayon to draw his reality. And so he's in a crib and he draws getting out of it and then he walks and he's having fun and he's hungry so he draws an apple tree and then a dinosaur scares him and he falls in the water because he gets shaky with his crayon because he's scared of the dinosaur and he falls in water and he can't swim so he draws a boat. And what's interesting about that story is that it's almost as if, you know, that is where we are. Like, we are at that third world war prophecy time. And so, you know, will we survive is the question. And I, I think we will. I mean, I think that this is just a, it's, it's a gauntlet. It's, you know, and for those of us that do survive it, in a sense, um, it's kind of like that fabulous Shakespeare speech that King Richard gives to his men, um, the, 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 um, band of brothers speech you know we few we marry few he who sheds his blood this day with me ne'er he so vile shall always be my brother and I think that you know um, there are things to save there are things to protect and I think that you know it's a very interesting time don't you don't you see it I mean don't you agree don't you think it's kind of like whoa I don't think there's ever been a time to be alive that has not been an exciting time. Well, I agree. Thank you for saying it that way. And I I think, though, what's interesting to me is that remember that everything now is everybody's buried in a phone. So people, many of the younger generation, they don't have that sense of reality of, like, this has happened before. You know, we've, we've in, in humankind, we've been through these kinds of things. And this, in some ways, is, you know, at least in my opinion, it is it is that greatest adventure that, you know, that, that happened in the 1940s that we survived. And if you think of the 80-year cycle, right, because it's always in 80 years, here we are again, you know. It's like the, the, uh, the 2008 quote-unquote crash, which I didn't know that there was that big a crash, but that was like, you know, um, it was it, it was 80 years later from uh, um, from when a lot of the the stuff was beginning to happen with the crash that would happen in 29. But anyway, it's very, it's a, just a very interesting time, I think, and I, I agree with you. I think it's a it's a fabulous time to just really experience a new a new thing on the horizon. It's um, and I think it really does point to something that you're reminding me of is that sometimes we don't know when we're in it that it had to happen this way. You know, it had to happen where, you know, this particular person did this and and all of the things that are happening in our world, all of those things had to happen so that we would wake up. I mean, it's really a, um, so yeah, it is a, it is a fascinating time um, to be alive and to be, you know, really aware of what's going on in the world. Um, so much, so much change. So, so yeah, yeah. So, so much, so much possibility to yeah. really experience what others are experiencing. You know, the 
Aboriginal viewpoint is mm-hmm. me and my community, we're the real people, and the whole earth is ours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's not part of me and my community, we kill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And look yeah. at how expansive we have become. Well, and, and so that less and less and less other provokes that killer instinct, and more and more other excites the curiosity of, oh, how are you? I feel mm-hmm. for you as a, a as an, another human being on this planet who experiences all of the same emotions that I do. Mm-hmm. I think isn't that, isn't I think that, that, that what the chakras are about? Is that they well, link us all together and say, you may all be different and yet you still run the same energy system? You know, and I, I actually have to say yes. And, you know, um, the, the thing that's fascinating about what you just said, and even more fascinating, is I was asked, to, you'll love the story, I was asked to write a book on, you know, small book, History of the Chakras, my friend Joel, uh, he now runs this division at, uh, oh, God, St. Martin's, right? So he asked, and he would, he's the guy who did, uh, he was a publisher for The Artist's Way and Conversations with God. And so Joel is this, like, really fab guy. And he said, hey, you know, you're into chakra. I go, yeah. And he goes, would you write this small book for me, you know, 35,000 words or whatever? And I said, sure, I'll do it. And so, and this is Susan all. All he said to me was, okay, Tori, I don't need to use any of your stories. I know you're a storyteller. No stories, no bullet points, no examples, no, you know, just down and dirty, the history of the chakra. I go, okay, I can do that. You know, I can take myself out of it. So I start doing the research, and there is no history of the chakra. Like I, I was start say, there's no history, but yeah. there's no history and of the chakras. <laughs> well, but you see, the thing is, is that this, okay, there is Eastern chakra, right? There is absolutely that holy, if you will, it is a very holy practice. So the Sufis created this, and then in turn, the, the um, Brits interpreted it, right? So they had it uh, translated. But the truth is, do we, did we really translate it the way it was meant to be translated? Well, if you look at, for example... Um, uh, acupuncture. There are thousands of what they call nadis, N-A-D-I, and that's an energy center. And technically, that's a chakra. So there's literally thousands in your body. But we yes. we only know of the eight. And here's the thing. You know, people say, excuse me, seven. People go, well, there's an eight, there's a tenth. I say, wait a second. You haven't even gotten <laughs> to the seventh, and you're worried about the tenth? And people <laughs> just laugh. Because you see, the people who get to the seventh, that those are like high holy people. They sit for 10 hours a day, and these people freaking levitate, you know. We use the chakra very differently. And actually the American, if you will, the Western chakra really stems from, you know, all the way back to the 1970s at Esalen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? You can imagine that, right? The naked hot tub and, you know, they're dropping some acid and there's like, you know, they're seeing rainbows and they're going, wow. And it was all part of the self-actualization movement. And they had like 
forgive me for saying this, they had crazy-ass stuff going on then. You know, they were like, okay, one guy was teaching uh, his students, and the student would have to strip down naked, and he would look at their body and tell them what their future looked like based on their body. Now, I think that was a little off, but whatever, it, it turned out to be accurate. Um, I don't know that that's my kind of psychic, but the point I'm making is that it was fascinating because these are the folks at Esalen who developed the, if you will, our Western chakra, which is it came from color therapy. It came from the idea of colors matter to us and our bodies and our whole soul responds to them. Now, this becomes important in terms of chakra because, you see, when I started putting this book together, I realized, listen, I can't write the book of the history of the chakra because the chakra as people refer to it, you know, that is really, it's almost like in Spanish there's two words for love. It means the same thing. But that's, that's the issue is that we use chakras as if we're practicing the Eastern tradition or the Eastern, if you will, it's almost like religion. We don't have that knowledge. But here's the good news. <laughs> there's a good part. The good news is that we actually created our own, our own version, if you will, and it's very accurate, and it actually does work. But for so many years, people tried to, you know, say, oh, it's the chakra, it's this, and it's all these, and they put holy names on it, which, okay, I get it. But at the end of the day, the American, if you will, the Western chakra, really is about creating and manifesting. And if you think about it, manifesting and creating our life experience. So it's the thing of like if you pray for a long, you know, if you pray, what is it? You pray for patience, you're going to get long lines. That's the, you know, <laughs> the joke, which I said backwards. But um, I think that that's when we look at the chakra now, you know, especially for me looking at it, I can see it as a map of our life. And every chakra, you know, the seven that we have inside, each one has a, a personal lesson. And when I say lesson, I want to be like, it's more like a journey. It's just a personal journey of, you know, if our first chakra basically is like our DNA. It's what we came in with. It's who we are. And how do we source our own roots? And so each of the chakra, we actually are, if you imagine this, we're of the same tree, but we are a different breed of, you know, we're a different strain of tree. So we may be an apple tree, but we're not that apple tree. And why this is important, and this is part of the story, is that, so I wrote the book, and my agent, I thought he was going to just have, a, like, a baby cow, because he called me up. He said, you can't send this in. I said, what do you mean? He said, this has personal stories. It breaks down exercises. It has meditations. It has everything Joel told you not to do. <laughs> and I said, but that's the truth. And he said, no, no, you have to do the history of the chakra. And I said, I can't write a book that doesn't really exist. Now, I want to say this. That doesn't mean that what other people write about or believe they're doing isn't true for them. But for me, I think that it's very important to validate that what we do is actually powerful. We actually do have a chakra system that works. So we sent it, long story short, it got sent into Joel. <clears throat> and then I get a note back that would just basically said, Miss Hartman, <laughs> like, uh-oh, you know, Miss Hartman, this is not what I asked for. 
I, it, you know, you gave story, you did this, you know, all the stuff I did. And he said, but I've got to tell you, I learned a lot, and it was, a, it's a very good book. Now, will you just edit this part and do this? And I thought, he's taking it. <laughs> but I learned a lot from that experience. And what I learned, and this is the biggest lesson, and I think it becomes kind of a theme of what we're referring to this conversation, is that you have to do what you are here to do no matter what. Even if you risk losing an opportunity. It, it, I was trying to explain to a friend of mine, you have to risk walk, You have to risk losing something in order to keep it because you have to be living in that level of truth. And you know, unfortunately or fortunately, the book came out during COVID. But, you know, so, of course, there was no, I couldn't do promotion. But it's done very well. And um, it's just an interesting time, going back to what you said at the beginning. It's a fabulous time to be alive because I wrote the book I was told not to write because that was the book I had to write, you see. So I think sometimes, and I, I'm seeing this more and more, where we play small because we want to be, you know, oh, I've got to do it this way. And I just have this old tattered, you know, sign over my, my desk that says write, W-R-I-T-E, write it wrong. And that just has always been my motto of just put it on paper, put you on paper, be truthful. And I, of course, for me as a writer, but whatever you do, be truthful with it. Because if there is an energy of truth, people will hear it. They will come. They will find you. They will knock on doors. And why do you think, you know, when we look at, um, you know, if you build it, he will come. You know, we look at that and we go, what was it? What was it? And ultimately it was if you build it, you can heal yourself. Because ultimately that's the whole journey, right? It's about, you know, having fun and enjoying ourselves and, and being present for people. And it's funny because I just, I'm doing a meditation series right now where it's just about being present. Being and, present. Uh, yes. Right? Yes. And when we breathe that in and we just, I'm just going to say to everybody and to you, just drop your shoulders, you know, and just drop them again and just breathe. And, but when we take that in, the gift of being present, um, one, the, this one meditation I, I just was working on was I basically say at the beginning, because I give a lot of information in this one. It's a contemplation, right? And there's a lot of information, and I say, please, no matter what, resist, or just not resist, but like more, what did I, how do I put I put it positive, but I said, um, no notes, just be present. And observe how you feel when you don't take notes, because there's that thing of like, oh, I want to remember that. And that's your brain talking. Your intuition will remember everything. And so yes, I don't let the, I don't let people take notes at my classes, Tori. See, this is and and, and that's that is the, that is being present. That's teaching because what, them, I say, just it. be present yeah. and trust that I'm a good enough teacher that you'll remember. And they'll remember what they need, right? I mean, obviously, it's, it's and that's that's. That's absolutely true. And you know, you know where I learned that, and I kind of learned it because I'm just, you know, I, I'm, I'm the one who's laying face down in the path with the arrows in my back, you know, the pioneers. But years ago, I went and I took a Feldenkrais class. I was living in New York at the time, and I, it was, uh, it's mind, you know, it's like, it's like uh, um, the Alexander Method. It's awareness through movement. 
and I took this course, and it was like a, excuse me, it was like three days, nine to five at the Open Center in New York, which is this fabulous, you know, like old building and classes. Anyway, so the first day, we all lay down on the floor with our yoga mats, and they walk us through an exercise. And that was, they started at 9 o'clock. My eyes opened at 5 o'clock. I literally slept from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. <laughs> Amazing. I said to the instructor, I said, it was a couple, I said to the, the guy, I go, why didn't you wake me? I missed everything. And his wife walked over, and she looked at me, and she said, no, you got what you needed. I said, I tried. <laughs> yep. <well. laughs> I said, and she said, but that's what you needed. That's what you and needed. And, you know, this is the thing. I thought for years it was the sleep that I needed. But what I needed was the lesson that being present is more important than what I learned. And that yes. is the key. Because, wow. because if you don't need it, you're not going to need it. There you go. And that's you exactly go. what you're teaching. That's when you yeah. said to me that yeah. it's what you're teaching. Because you're teaching someone that it doesn't matter what you hear. It doesn't matter if you forget everything that I've said. What matters is that you were here for it. That you, you know, were present for it. Exactly. exactly. That you had the, you, were here. you have that experience. Right. You were here. And I'll never forget sleeping all day. <laughs> I won't remember sleep, but I will remember waking up. And, you know, my father, uh, and I've been thinking of him a lot lately, he's been around, you know, energetically. He, he passed away in 2002, but he jumped on D-Day. And one of the things, I mean, you know, they were boys, 22, 21, and they, you know, he jumped in um, in France, you know, the, the European theater, and he was a radio operator. And he said, I made it into, we made it up to San Maria Glees, which is the famous steeple that John Steele was hanging on. It was the paratrooper, you know, and he said, I, I stood there, and here's a, a young man, you know, young boy, 22 years old, and he's looking up, and he said to no one in particular, he said, this is the most important day in history, and I'm here. And then he said, I just looked up to God, and I said, and I'm going to effing survive it. I'm going to live to tell the yeah. tale. <laughs> and, you know, he was, and, and that's the funny thing. Other guys would come up to him and say, you know, see out there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die tomorrow right out there, and I'm going to get a bullet right here. And he'd point to the place. And sure enough, my dad said, that guy got the bullet where he said he would. And he said, I kept saying to him, don't think that way. You can't think that way. But what, what he said was, you cannot prevent fate, but what you can do is recognize that it doesn't belong to you. And what belongs to you is is what you know you're here to do. And as convoluted as that sounds, it really comes down to being present means you're going to find what you're here to do. If we're present and we breathe, then just drop our shoulders. We just show up, pay attention, tell the truth. It's going to cross your path. And the reason we do all this work, right? Why do you do the work? Why do you teach? Because you know that that person might be the person who crosses your path, and that means they're going to get a lesson that they need or you'll get it, you know. Um, and I know you get this. Like when I say this to you, like how many students have taught us, and we go, oh, gosh, I just learned something fantastic. You know, like, 
because we 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 guide we are guides because it's it really is filling the soul. We give away what we have and and blesses other people, you know. And it it I always walk around and I say, you know, my job is to make my job obsolete. That's my job because <laughs> you don't need me. But what you do need are tools and and you know um, I want to say ways of working through and working with energies and all that. And when people, for example, Susan, when they come to you, it's because they need that energy, period. You know, that's it. When they come to you, they take a class, it's because they need to be in that energy. And I think that um, that's part of this opening is of what's going on with the age of Aquarius is that we're recognizing that, of course, it's the humanitarian, right? We have to be present for everyone and and that it's inclusive of everybody, you know. Um, so it's, it's a very interesting time, as you said. It's, it is an exciting time. And, and I want to also just validate, for some, it's very challenging. And we go through hard times, but we don't have to live there. You know, finding resources to help us is, is part of that. So, But the chakras, which are, are incredibly powerful, they are our roadmap to remind us who we are and what is going on with us. So when, and, and when, I, when we tap into one of those seven energy centers, it's going to tell us something. For example, I don't believe chakras get blocked. Now, I know that's kind of like, what? You know, people say, I have a blocked third chakra, and I'll look at them and go, it's just busy. I completely <laughs> agree with you. You can't have a chakra. It's not possible. Because they're all moving. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what can happen is it's like it's like a log jam, right? It can it can it can be so busy that it feels almost painful, and that's when people go to therapy or they try something new. Or our chakras will always guide us to what we need. And for some of us, it has to get pretty painful. But I absolutely don't think there are blocks. But and as you understand, sometimes we have to use that terminology because. It goes back to there was no there was no way to say the word nucleus, you know, 50 years ago. I mean, it didn't make sense to people, you know, that a nucleus would be attacked. I mean, we understood certain things in science, but we didn't really know what we know now, you know, um, about you know COVID and airborne and all of this, the prophecies, and and prophecies can um, can shift based on when they happen. You know, 50 years ago when it was given, we thought it was X, but it's Y. And we didn't know that till it happened. And we just have to keep, you know, keep moving forward with the faith that I'm going to be present. And no matter what, um, my life is about being of service. And as long as I'm doing a little bit of that every day, then I'm, I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing. So the chakras really be, formed a map for me. And when I, when I wrote that book, um, it is basically just a guide. It's a workbook of, you know, here are all the personal issues in your life that will happen. And the chakras are that, are that I want to say, the lens through which we can view things to help ourselves heal. Um, and, and they're powerful. So, I mean, I, look, I feel like I'm going to They, are, they are, and it's so hard <laughs> to believe, but we have talked our half hour away and I know. <laughs> so the last question that I always ask 
my guest, and you've been a wonderful guest, is what would you like to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's listening to you tonight? You have everything you need to find the answers that you think have eluded you. And it really is just a meditation away because you will be guided to it if it is ultimately what you want. Words to live by. Thank you so much. And let listeners know once more how they can reach you. Uh, pretty much through my website, toryhartman.com. It's T-O-R-I-H-A-R-T-M-A-N.com. And my books and decks are on Amazon. So if you just type in my name or you just type in Chakra Tori Hartman, you'll find my Chakra Wisdom Oracle. And I have a new Chakra Wisdom Tarot deck, which is just fab too. So... They're, you know, on there. And, uh, All right. Perfect. Thank you so much for helping to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Ellen, thanks for helping to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as mm-hmm. people's medicine. Okay, everybody, put your thinking caps on about the Come Free Conference. Yeehaw! Mm-hmm. Good blessings and good night. Good night. Good night.